Hi everyone, welcome back to the Ellie Gordon Podcast. The Ellie Gordon Podcast is a space where you can tune in to hear about topics ranging from wellness to current events. I'm your host, Ellie Gordon, and I'm thrilled to connect with you all. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Ellie Gordon Podcast. Today I'm really excited to have Heather Rubino on as a guest. Heather Rubino is a certified registered nurse and inpatient OB and a longtime friend of mine. Today, we're going to talk about all about birth and babies. Hi, Heather. How are you doing today? Hi, this is so exciting. I'm so glad to be a guest of yours. I know it's about time. I love it. So let's start out with your journey in becoming a labor and delivery registered nurse. What led you to this field? So Basically, my parents had told me when I was in high school that I needed to pick a career before going to college to kind of guide my journey a little better. So I had a family friend that her mother was a registered nurse in the neonatal intensive care unit. So I always looked up to her and thought it would be a really cool career. So I started my journey when I had graduated high school and I was a volunteer at a local hospital. I started taking the prerequisite courses at a community college and throughout the years, it was overall a seven year journey, Um, but I was uh, at San Francisco State University. I did the rest of my degree program there and then transferred to a private nursing university um, to complete my bachelor's in registered nursing So, yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. I don't think I knew about your family friend. That's awesome. I mean, you had a model to look up to, a career that, you know, you could see day to day what was happening with her. And um, that's awesome that you had that example. Definitely. It definitely guided the way that I thought about nursing in general, because a lot of people kind of see how things are on TV. And that's really not how things are in real life. But going through the whole program at the private university and going through all the units and different rotations, I always loved the labor and delivery unit, the nursery, the neonatal intensive care unit, but it was a very competitive area. Everybody in my program wanted to be in those programs. So it was definitely competitive. They don't take a lot of um, graduates and it just kind of fell into my lap and I'm so grateful that I was able to have this opportunity to get into this area. That's beautiful and it's such a lively, I mean you're dealing with birth. I feel like it's just so filled with so much vitality and energy and excitement. So I think that's an awesome specialty. And I, and I remember it was very competitive and I'm so happy to hear you got in, but your dedication really paid off. And I think it's well worth it to be in this, in this particular specialty so much. I feel like it's so much fun. And I mean, obviously there's a lot that goes on, but um, just the vitality of it, it's just so invigorating, I would imagine. Definitely. It's, something that I look forward to every day, waking up to go to work, I'm always excited. Uh, There's definitely so much positivity every day and so much female empowerment. It's all women that work on my unit, but when things are hard, they're the hardest. And I really try my best to give the best experience to all of the families that I care for. 
That's so wonderful. So let's get into that. What does your typical day look like? You know, I know that you're not dealing with delivery every single day, but that's your main priority. And you've shared some amazing stories with me in the past. Um, what does your typical day look like? Um, how is it? We'll talk about how it is now, but just on a typical day, um, what it what do you do day in and day out? So our typical day, we have a meeting at the beginning of the day at 7 a.m. and the team gets together and we go through our census, see who's on our floor, try to make the assignments appropriate to the individual nurse's scope and also um, experience level. So you can do anything from prenatal testing on mothers who might need non-stress tests, you could be taking care of a preterm mom who's inpatient on bed rest. You could be laboring with someone who might not necessarily deliver on your shift, but offering them support in the early or latent labor, labor phases into active labor, um, possibly doing non-pharmacological interventions um, or guiding them through the process of getting an epidural. Um, and then actual delivery and recovery of the mother and the newborn. Um, and then there's also C-sections that are scheduled throughout the week. So you could be in the operating room, either scrubbing in, circulating the operating room, or doing the recovery afterwards. So there's a lot of different choices day in and day out, which makes it more exciting. It's never the same day twice. That's so cool. So you have controls of over what you choose to do that day, correct? Definitely. You can definitely give your input at the beginning of the shift. We usually try to offer first choice if it's your second or third or fourth day in a row, but often the charge nurse will kind of guide the assignments, how she feels appropriate. Um, and then we all take turns being charge of the unit. And I started being a charge about two years ago, which is definitely exciting and a different change of pace. I love it. Yeah, wonderful. So, you know, with the whole COVID-19 pandemic that started, what, back in March, I'm like, I forget, it's just been so long. Um, for expecting mothers um, and listeners who are expecting or who are planning now, what has changed as far as checkups go, um, delivery services, um, labor, labor delivery, obviously services. Um, I remember there was a point in time when unfortunately um, the mother who had a partner or husband um, could not come in during a delivery. So what is it like now? I think that's no longer happening, right? Um, what are some of the changes in the field? since COVID hit? So starting with prenatal visits, it's definitely limited to just allowing mothers in to the OBGYN or midwifery offices. Unfortunately, dads are often being invited to the 20-week ultrasounds, but the routine appointments, unfortunately, moms have had to go alone. Um, which is definitely a difficult thing throughout your pregnancy. Your partner is there for you day in and day out. And it's, you know, hard to just do things on your own and have that person in your life that's so special miss out on some of these key events in the pregnancy. So um, still in our um, practice, 
we have had to limit the partner in any prenatal care except for that 20-week ultrasound. So um, there are some third-party areas that will offer 3D ultrasounds that aren't inpatient areas that often they are cash pay or just um, kind of like a luxury. So you can have your spouse in those areas. Um, we'll just have to like advance technology even further to get like a screen in the room. So, so dad can, you know, zoom in during the ultrasound or something. I mean, I wonder how definitely get. I mean, I know, you know, there's HIPAA and all that stuff, but I'm sure there's a way to like sign a release in the future so that it's as if the parent is there too. Cause it is robbing, um, you know, dad or partner of that experience, you know, that I think is, is pretty monumental, you know, those checkups and, but, you know, it is what it is at the same time, you know, you don't want to put anybody at risk. And so it's, it's, it's tough either way, but. Definitely. And I think it's hard for the spouse or partner to not be involved in those weekly or monthly visits because it kind of removes them from the pregnancy experience. So sometimes when I see them, when they come in to be um, induced or have their scheduled C-section or they're coming in in early labor, sometimes that's when it's a realization for the partner that this is actually happening because they haven't had those those visits with the doctor. So it hasn't seemed as real. Ah, like the transitions weren't there. Definitely. Oh, that's a really good point. Thanks for sharing that. So um, another just uh, COVID, we have a couple more COVID related, or I have a couple more COVID related questions, but how at risk are you for contracting COVID-19 when you're pregnant? You know, I guess I haven't done enough research, but you're not more, any more susceptible to contracting it, right? I mean, it's not like, because I don't think your immunity is necessarily, I feel like your immunity should be stronger if you're, you know, taking your, your prenatals, if you're in shape, but is there, are there any studies on that that you know of? So overall, pregnancy is um, an immunocompromised state. Your pregnancy is causing your body and your immune system to focus so much on what's actually a foreign object in your body. So a lot of times your immune system is actually weaker in pregnancy, can be more susceptible to colds, um, viruses, including COVID-19. But the good thing about this population is that they're very good with hunkering down and nesting at home. And that's why I think depending on the community, we're not seeing huge surges in COVID-19 like we are in the geriatric population, who's obviously also immunocompromised. But a lot of these moms are taking it easier. They're staying at home. Overall, we're seeing a very decrease a huge decrease in preterm labor, which can be caused by increased activity. And actually the neonatal intensive care units are seeing a large decrease in their census because not as many preterm deliveries are happening. Ah, yeah, I remember you mentioning that, like it's more late term, right? Not late term, what's the right word for it? But you know, more 
like on time deliveries is that what you would say or even later deliveries because moms are um taking it easy like you said and nesting um but you have you seen that like even after the typical nine to ten months I mean you can't really go that much farther than that right (laughs) definitely I mean we're seeing people coming in closer to their due dates or even post and actually late term is a correct uh, term that you can use. That's the period between 40 weeks and 42 weeks. And then post-term or post-dates is anytime after 42 weeks. And we actually don't recommend people go past the 42-week mark just because the placenta is not as great as it once was at feeding your newborn. So, or sorry, your fetus. So it's definitely not, not advisable to go past the 42 week mark. Awesome. Okay. Got it. And then how about the COVID-19 vaccine and pregnancy? What do we know so far? There's lots of articles out there, but I don't believe it's quite advised yet. There's still so many unknowns with COVID-19 in general and how it affects pregnancy. There was a study that came out of Wuhan, China a few months back. There were some studies done on women that were pregnant during the initial outbreak and how that affected them and their newborn after delivery. But it was a very limited study. I believe there were only 30 participants that were studied So it's really a learning curve for all of us. And even when we have a mother come in that is either currently COVID positive or previously had COVID within the pregnancy period, we do a lot of studies. We collect blood from mom. We collect blood from the cord. We do nasal swabs. We need to learn how to deal with this. But from my own research and reading what Dr. Fauci has recommended. At this time, there's just too many unknowns. So the COVID vaccine would not be advisable for someone who is currently pregnant. And same with breastfeeding. They just don't know enough. And the American Academy of Pediatrics is not sure what direction they go with breastfeeding for COVID positive moms. So at this time, we are kind of still on the fence. Yeah. So that would be more like formula at that point you would recommend versus breastfeeding, right? I mean, obviously, but the infectious disease pediatric physicians that I've talked to whenever we've had a patient on the floor that is COVID positive, they have kind of weighed out the risk versus benefit. And really it's more, it's unfortunate that we can't promote that bonding but mom needs to definitely keep a mask on, make sure she has good skin and breast hygiene. And if it is her choice to breastfeed, then that is her personal choice. But we do still encourage moms to go with the research and possibly formula is the way to go at this time. I see. That's really, really great info, Heather. Thank you. Um, Yeah. And I guess, you know, there needs to just be more uh, participants who would enroll, right? I mean, as far as like the clinical studies go, but what you're doing now is very fascinating, like getting the samples and all that. Um, So that's great. Let's 
Let's shift gears just a bit. Um, you know, there is a world between, I feel like there is totally a world between those um, who choose to have in-home pregnancies versus hospital births. I, I think it, you know, I would also think that it's more of a lifestyle choice. Um, while you only deliver babies in hospitals, do you have anything to share about any possible pros or cons um, between the two or of the two? So I definitely think that's a personal choice of the mother and her spouse, um, depending on their personal beliefs and also medical counseling. I think a home birth to most people sounds like an amazing experience and a very soothing environment to bring a child into the world, but they need to have proper medical counseling. You need to know if you are an ideal candidate to be delivering at home. Do you have any predisposing conditions? Do you have any complications in your pregnancy? Is your child measuring too large or too small? Um, do you have a proven pelvis? Is this your first, second, or third child? So there's so many things that go into the decision-making of having a home birth versus having an inpatient hospital birth. But um, like I said, doing your research is really important. Yeah. And by medical counseling, you mean like just go to, go to your practitioner, your OBGYN and, or, you know, what type of medical counseling, you know, are you referring to? Definitely. So establishing medical care with your OBGYN, whether that's the same practitioner that you've been seeing for years for pap smears or other gynecological procedures. So advising that physician or practitioner, you know, I'm really interested in delivering at home. What are your thoughts? Because uh, these doctors, they love you. They love having you as patients, but they know that you um, are autonomous and you can make your own decisions, but they want to give you enough education to make you feel like you can make an informed decision for what's healthiest for you and your baby. Totally. That makes total sense. It's really good advice. So for expecting mothers who are looking into having a doula or a midwife, um, what qualifications should they look for? You know, there's so much going on on Instagram and social media. You know, you see a bunch of different doulas and midwives and videos, but what are some qualifications that moms should look for? So there are actually five different types of midwives that exist out there. And you really want to do your research. Of course, these women um, or men for that matter could seem very knowledgeable and have had a lot of experience over the years, but it's really dependent on what you feel comfortable with. And like I was saying before, what's safest for you and your child and your family. So the five types the first one is a certified nurse midwife. And uh, this is a type of midwife that actually practices inpatient in an acute care setting, such as a hospital. I work with certified nurse midwives or CNMs on a daily basis. Um, some patients will call them quote unquote medwives because they are medical midwives. But this, in my opinion, is the safest way to go. I know Kaiser Permanente uses certified nurse midwives for any uncomplicated pregnancy um, in the acute care setting for delivery. That makes um, total sense. Okay. 
Yeah, I can go through the different yeah. descriptions. That's so totally, yeah, that totally makes sense. I, when I did, um, when I looked up the definition, it looked like doulas are more um, defined as a person trained to provide advice, information, emotional support, and physical comfort um, before, during, and just after childbirth, whereas a midwife is a person who has, like you said, more medical training and assists women in childbirth. Do you, I wonder if midwives also, I'm sure they assist after like post-care as well, right? Or is that mostly just throughout, like assisting throughout the delivery and maybe before, I don't know. But I know doulas, I've heard they stick around for a while after, you know, for the post. Definitely, definitely. And at this time we are going back and forth with inviting doulas into the inpatient setting, but we previously had them even during COVID. Um, but these are people who are providing the emotional, physical support they're helping and encouraging during the different phases of labor. Um, they don't have any medical training, but they can help with relaxation techniques, breathing exercises, changing labor positions, and even act as a mediator and advocate for the patient. Um, they can sometimes translate medical terms and just help with the overall comfort of the patient. But like I said, this is not a medically trained person. Sometimes these doulas have been nurses or midwives earlier in their career, and they have transitioned to the doula role after retiring or leaving the bedside, um, but they're definitely very helpful in the overall experience. I can imagine even just now, I mean, who knows how much longer this, this uh, pandemic is going to go for, you know, we have a vaccine now and all of that, but just that emotional support, you know, like even back in back in the day, like, like you said, like having a circle, a support circle, a support network, I think, in today's age, there's just so much, you know, emphasis on, well, not currently, but pre COVID, like getting ahead and, and, you know, working and what's coming up the next day, you don't necessarily have maybe that emotional support that you need throughout this really big uh, journey that you're on, you know, like childbirth, it's a, it's a huge transformative, I would imagine, I don't know yet, but journey and to have someone there to, to support you and hold your hand and say things are going to be okay. And just to and have someone there that knows the process, I would imagine would be just a, a big difference in the whole process. Definitely. And a lot of times it's hard for the spouse or the partner to really understand how to support their wife or partner throughout this labor process. A lot of people, when they see their significant other in so much immense pain, they shut down themselves. So they really kind of curl up into a ball and go into the corner and they just don't know how to support that person, no matter how many childbirth education classes they've done. Um, so really having that doula there can direct the partner and this is how you can support your wife or partner best. Perfect. I love it. So um, while we're on this path of a discussion, I've heard of, you know, complementary practices used during childbirth. One is, you know, something that's been around forever, like reflexology. Um, 
which is basically when a therapist uses hands, fingers, thumbs to stimulate certain areas like the pituitary gland area on the feet to reduce low back and pelvic pain and speed up the labor process. That's just one example. Do you or anybody that you know use complementary practices when you deliver babies like essential oils, like music therapy, anything like that? Or have you found that it's been beneficial at all? Definitely. Nurses have a lot of tips and tricks that we've passed on through the years. So um, the hospital that I work at, they do promote use of essential oils. We call it our Urban Zen program. So we use a handful of different oils for different things. We use lemon for energy. We use ginger uh, for comfort and sometimes to ease um, a stomach that is upset peppermint also for nausea vomiting. We even have used peppermint to help people go pee for the first time after having a baby. Some sort of um, fume from the peppermint oil helps stimulate the urinary tract and also of course lavender for overall relaxation. So we use those quite frequently. Some people are more in tune and um, are more educated on using acupressure therapy there are some spots throughout the body that can stimulate contractions. Um, some women have come into us in early labor and some of our nurses have done some of those acupressure spots with um, massage and sent them home and they've actually come back a few hours later in very active labor. So it definitely does work for the right person. For sure, definitely. And also, you know, just a side note, it's you have to be very careful when you're using complementary medicine um, for practices for the listeners, you know, because you can stimulate, um, you know, uterine muscles when you, you don't need to, you know, you don't want to accidentally have something happen early on. Like I know that raspberry leaf is advice. However, you know, with some research, I've learned that that's probably best to consume in your last trimester. Oh, so definitely. yeah, so be careful what you read. And even, you know, I'm all for herbs. I love herbs. I, you know, use them all the time. But when you're trying to conceive too, I think you just need to be really cautious, especially um, you know, during that first phase and your first trimester, like even with massage, like Abiyanga, which is amazing oil massage, you probably, you definitely want to avoid it in your first trimester. And, um, usually the abdomen is not massaged at all or very lightly massaged in that first trimester. You wanna wait until like more of your second half of your pregnancy for that kind of stuff. But supplements, I would imagine like iron folate and iodine are, are awesome, right Heather? Definitely. Anything that you're interested in taking, whether it's an over-the-counter stool softener or a different herbal supplement, you definitely want to get that cleared by your practitioner, whether that's your OBGYN or your certified nurse midwife or whoever you're seeing, you want to make sure that you're taking the right supplement or the right mix of medications at the right portion of your pregnancy. Like you were saying, that was absolutely on point. Raspberry leaf can definitely increase uh, uterine contractions, but that's something that should be reserved for after 39 weeks, not necessarily earlier on. You don't wanna have an, an early preterm labor situation from having too many uh, cups of tea. 
<laughs> exactly. I love it. So we don't have a whole lot more time um, just because I know you're just so busy, but I just wanted to briefly touch on infertility um, as it is a big issue these days. Um, I know this isn't necessarily what you see in your unit because your patients are already pregnant. However, being in the OBGYN world, um, you know, what do you attribute that to? I know there's lots you can do um, as far as if you're later aged, like freezing your eggs and all that good stuff. But, you know, do you have any advice on optimizing your fertility at all? So overall, we're seeing more infertility issues because women are waiting longer to becoming pregnant. A lot of women are doing advanced education. They're very career oriented. So we're having babies. Sometimes our first babies aren't until 40, which is okay for our world. But in reality, and from an evolutionary standpoint, our bodies weren't really made to have babies much later in life. So it does make things a little more complicated. So there are a few things that you can do. Freezing your eggs is an option. Um, it's definitely something that can be almost like an insurance policy. You might need them. You might not need them. Um, mm -hmm. I have heard from different practitioners that I've worked with that freezing your eggs can be a good way to preserve your fertility, but it has been shown that freezing embryos, so already fertilized eggs, is um, much more uh, pointed towards success. So that has a better outcome than uh, freezing eggs alone. But of course, if you're looking for a partner and you haven't quite met Mr. Right yet, and you, you know, don't have that, that other piece to the puzzle, the sperm, you are going to just be freezing your eggs. So it's just going to depend on your own personal journey throughout fertility. Totally. And hopefully in the future, it'll be much more, um, I know it's advanced a lot more even now, but like affordable to, you know, a 25 year old looking to want to freeze her eggs. Um, so hopefully, you know, that'll be more affordable. And like you said, cause we've just culturally evolved to wait so much longer to conceive. Um, and then I just wanted to mention too, like just a really brief touch on miscarriages. I know that some celebrities have like Chrissy Teigen and Meghan Markle have really bravely come forward recently to share their recent miscarriages. And I feel like it's just such a taboo subject, like somehow, you know, it, you know, let's not talk about that. Th those don't happen. Um, and I do want to talk about it just briefly. Um, uh, but what are, what are some reasons they occur? You know, I, I get it that they're spontaneous, but, um, I don't, I don't know, even spiritually, like, I mean, I know you're not going to bring that up, but what, it, what are some reasons that, you know, you, you, you think that they occur? Like why? I know you so, don't have all the answers, Heather. You don't have some. I don't, I don't, but I'm actually really glad that some of these celebrities have come forward and shared their um, journey through having miscarriages, because I think it really normalizes the whole thing. A lot of women have miscarriages and they don't talk about it, even within their inner circle or their girlfriends, they really don't talk about it. And I think it's an embarrassment that something's wrong with my body, but really a lot of the reasons why they happen are purely spontaneous, whether the, um, implantation process didn't go as it should have. There are definitely a 
variety of reasons why, but most of the time it is spontaneous and it is normal. And women go on to have perfectly normal pregnancies after having a spontaneous or even a therapeutic um, miscarriage or abortion. Any advice on optimizing your fertility, Heather? So I think in this time of COVID and everybody being on alert at all times, I think just the most important part is to keep yourself as healthy as possible, making sure you're doing exercise um, and keeping your body in tip-top shape, having a balanced diet, limiting the alcohol, no smoking, no drug. I mean, really just trying to keep your body as that, you know, perfect as perfect as we can get it, um, sanctuary to be able to grow um, a pregnancy appropriately. And that goes for the men as well. They need to be getting their diet right. They need to get their exercise regimen in check and not be sitting and having 10 beers watching a football game. I think I the totally men- agree with you. I think we need to talk more about the men here too. Um, but yeah, you're right about that because it's, I, you know, I know, you know, we're not going to get too deep into this, but it is a spiritual process too. Um, And it's not just, the pressure should not just be on the woman because it's, you know, takes two to tango, right? And so it's the coming of two seed, you know, two, two, the sperm and the egg, right? So we need that the men to also be on board. We need them to emotionally be on board. We need them to feel good. We need them to, you know, be in shape as well and to, you know, get that mental process going of what it would be like to be a father. Because as much as this process is medical, it is also a spiritual process. Oh, definitely. And getting your mind right and being on the same page as your spouse, I think is the most important thing. For sure. Well, thank you so much, Heather, for coming on. It's been so informative. Oh, and it was this so is so great. fun. Yeah. And I'll have to have you come back so we can discuss postpartum health and some challenges that come along with being an, a new mom at home. Um, it's been really fun. Thanks again. And I hope you have an awesome rest of your day. Thank you so much. Okay. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye.